0: So at first glance, it may seem like today's text is about place, this place that Solomon is supposed to build. As we just heard, Solomon, son of King David, has said the time is ripe for finally building a house for the name of the Lord my God, he says. Solomon justifies this project by saying that the Lord told his father David, your son shall build the house for my name. And now David is dead, and Solomon's ready to build. But what does this mean, to build a house for God's name? Before I jump into that question, I want to tell you more about what it was that Solomon built. We can't fully appreciate what Solomon built, though, without knowing a little bit about who Solomon was. We're told that Solomon is a really faithful guy, and after making thousands of sacrifices at a place called Gibeon, God appears to Solomon in a dream, as God does often, God asks, what should I give you? What would you say if you fell asleep tonight, you had a dream, and God said, what should I give you? It's like a genie from a bottle, right? Like you can ask for anything you want, can grant any wish. Solomon, knowing about the burden he bears as king, says, give me an understanding mind to govern your people. Able to discern between good and evil. The next verse tells us it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. So God not only makes Solomon wise as requested, but throws in great wealth to boot. How about that? I give you also what you've not asked, both riches and honor all your life. Solomon is the man. Like he's got it all, and he's clever. The United Kingdom of Israel, which Solomon inherited from his father David, sits in the perfect spot along a trade route between Africa, no small place, and Asia, even bigger. Solomon makes the most of his perfect location and cuts deals that make him and his nation extremely wealthy. So as we come upon our text for today, we know that Solomon's been called by God to be the king. He's been called to build a house for God's name, and he's got great wealth. So, like you or I might do if we want to build, Solomon starts lining up contractors and laborers and tradesmen. Only he does this by the thousands, and he does this for many years. And what does he build? A gigantic wonder of the world that we call Solomon's Temple. Great detail is given in Scripture of its dimensions, its decor. I mean, it gets tedious to read. If you've ever tried to read the parts of Scripture that tell us about the temple, it's not the fun part, maybe, but it's amazing how much detail is given. For example, there is a thing they call the Sea of Bronze. See that thing on the bottom left? That's a big thing, you know? They call it the Sea of Bronze, a basin just outside the temple. It's eight feet tall, 15 feet wide, four inches thick, made of solid bronze. It was like a giant tub placed on top of these 12 bronze oxen that are all facing outward. So imagine, you know, it's like a huge teacup, right, placed on top of these oxen. Its purpose, you might wonder, what is it for? Well, its purpose is to provide enough water for 1,500 ritual baths where priests would clean up after making animal sacrifices. Because out there in the space, that's where, because part of worship, you didn't just come and sing and pray. You'd come and bring your animal and slaughter it. And maybe we bring a thousand animals, which takes up space. And so that's what all the space is for. That's where the priest was, priests would ritually cleanse themselves after making all these sacrifices. There's details about pillars and candlesticks and the table and everything. It's all given the greatest detail and no expenses to be spared. Everything is gold or the finest this or the greatest that. And even more important than what the temple is made of is where the temple is built. When King David, when David was king, he purchased at God's command a spot, that's put on a spot of great significance. It's on Mount Moriah. This was the spot where Abraham… So yeah, you got to go way back and remember the story about Abraham. Remember, Abraham and Sarah wait a terribly long time to have a son, Isaac. And then Isaac is finally born in their old age. The promise of God is real and alive in this Isaac. And then God tells Abraham, go up a mountain and make a sacrifice. And Abraham's ready and what am I to sacrifice? Isaac, it turns out. Do you remember this story? I actually preached on it a little while ago. It was a story to explain how obedient and faithful Abraham was. Of course, in the end, God provides a ram to be sacrificed in Isaac's place. Everybody's okay. But where does all that happen but Mount Moriah right there without the temple? That's the spot David buys, It's the spot where Solomon will now build this temple. It is a holy place that, after Solomon is done with it, now has the most elaborate worship building on earth. Have you ever been to an elaborate worship building? Maybe the cathedral downtown, or maybe you've been to the basilica in Minneapolis, or Right next door, the St. Paul Cathedral. I know Pastor Karen grew up and lived near the Crystal Cathedral, right? That wasn't far away. Uh, does anybody remember the Crystal Cathedral? That being on, T- it seemed like that was always on TV when I was growing up. I've had the privilege of worshiping at Westminster Abbey in London. It's amazing. You can't help but just like look up the whole time. But it's nothing compared. None of these things are compared uh, can compare to St. Peter's in Rome. I've never been to St. Peter's in Rome, but. I've read about it, I've heard other people tell me, it's incredibly big. So, like, the Statue of Liberty could stand under the rotunda of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome with 145 feet to spare. That's how big it is. It's 240,000 square feet, and inside they show where other huge worship places would fit in its own walls, and it turns out the biggest place you can imagine worshiping would be dwarfed inside St. Peter's. Solomon's temple kind of felt like that. It felt otherworldly huge and majestic, but is worship about place? I said at the beginning of this sermon that at first glance today's text seems a lot like it's about place. And you know what? It is. Worship is, to some extent, about place. Worship itself is not done outside of time and space. So place does matter. There is significance in place. I mean, as I think of the many places I've worshipped over my own years, the, the church I grew up in, my college's chapel, my seminary's chapel, the, the place where I worshipped on internship, my, my first call was three separate worship buildings. This room. The moment I walk into any of those places, I'm brought to a more worshipful attitude than when I'm not in one of those places. The furniture, the organs, the windows, the smells, place matters. But, and it's a big but, place is not the destination of our worship. Solomon builds a wonder of the world, but having the temple built does not automatically make Israel faithful. Like, oh, good, we've checked that box, now we can all do whatever we want. You, being here in this place, does not automatically make you worshipful. I mean, you can still be completely absent spiritually from this moment, right? Worship is about place, And places like this and all other cathedrals and churches I've named today, they can be tools that focus our attention on God, but so can Redwood National Park, so can a walk along the Mississippi River, so can a half hour in my car as I drive along. Worship is about place, place can matter, but places serve the greater purpose of wholehearted worship. After gathering all the elders of Israel to the dedication of the temple, Solomon had them bring in the Ark of the Covenant, the same Ark made famous in the, in the Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. And after setting the Ark in its resting place and all the holy vessels, they sacrificed so many sheep and oxen that they couldn't be counted. It was quite the event, apparently. But the point of the text that describes the dedication is explained toward the end. After all the worship work that was, do, was done, because it was work to do all this slaughtering, it would take all day, after they do all this worship work, a cloud, It's said, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests couldn't stand to minister because of this cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. and That is what worship is about. It's not enough to simply build a nice church and show up every now and then. Place matters, but there's more to what God is after than just buying property on a good location and building a fancy worship center. True wholehearted worship, as Jesus says to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, is about spirit and truth. What we do and say in here is supposed to be lived out out there. And all of it is supposed to show off the words and deeds of our God, known most obviously through the words and actions of Jesus. Jesus commands us to love God with our whole heart, love our neighbors as ourselves, and love ourselves in the mercy and grace of God. So we use this place to talk about that, to sing about that, and to learn about those commands. But worship isn't only done here as we sing, as we talk, as we learn. Worship is also done at all times, in all places, when we don't just sing about forgiveness or kindness, but we actually forgive, and we actually are kind, especially to the people at work or at school or wherever who are hard to be kind to. Worship is when we talk, when we learn, but also when we say and when we do. I give thanks for worship places. Solomon's temple on its dedication day served its purpose well, but the temptation is always to allow this place to be the only place where God's stuff is allowed to happen, as though God thoughts and God actions can be left here and returned to at our own convenience. We know better. We know worship is more than just singing and praying. It is a way of life that elevates our self-centered existence that's focused merely on survival to a joy-filled way of servanthood that's constantly reaching outward to God, reaching outward to each other, reaching out to all whom God loves. And so, we worship everywhere. Thanks be to God. Amen.